Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. There were two things you could be when I was a kid. You could get married young, like my cousin who got engaged at 16, or you could be a bad girl. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Big Bird, when people die, they don't come back. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. If you love somebody, you kiss them. And need to talk about more. Oh, I forgot my money. I'm Anna Sale. I don't know if it was a cultural thing, but you never would, would question an adult. Sonia Manzano grew up in the Bronx in the 1950s. Her parents moved there from Puerto Rico. Adults always told you things, whether you understood it or not, was meaningless to them. You, would, you could not say, but what do you mean by that? They would say either you'll know when you grow up or shut up and get out of the way. <laughs> what were the things that, that you never asked your mom about when you were a little girl? Well, when I was little, I didn't uh, ask her why, you know, why she would change her mind so much about my father. Sonia's mother left her father repeatedly when Sonia was a kid. They'd move out, get a new place, and then her parents would reunite. Sonia's father drank a lot. And whenever he drank, he'd beat her mother. I was always standing between them. When I was five, six, seven, and eight, I was standing between them. Until Sonia was 21 years old. It was Christmas. We're waiting for my dad to come home, and it's getting darker and darker, and he's not home, and which is not a good sign. And we're all knowing that he could come home in a drunken and violent mood, and he does come home, and he attacks my mother with a telephone, as a matter of fact, and I remember deciding that I was going to to put an end to it. Were you able to? Yes. I, that was the moment where I put uh, the wheels in motion for her to get a separation and a divorce. Did your mom want to get divorced? No. No. And that's something that I'm kind of facing now as an adult, that she didn't want to, that this was her life, that this is how she might have defined herself. Did you and your mother discuss the divorce after it was final? Years later, yes, we did. And she was happy that she had gotten a divorce. And I asked her about our life and why she allowed it to go on. I was still the kid wanting to get an answer. And she said, well, you know, I just thought that uh, when you guys grew up, you'd understand. And I remember thinking, you might understand, but you don't gain the childhood back. Sonia couldn't get her childhood back, but she became part of all of ours. She's Maria from Sesame Street. Maria, Maria, what exactly does hola mean? Hola means hello in Spanish. Huh. Well, what do you know? For 44 years, she explained numbers and letters and life to little kids. Amo needs to know how to say, no, don't do that. Or, no, Amo doesn't like that. Uh, isn't that right, Maria? You know, Elmo, you're right. It is important to know how to say no. 
No one said these kinds of things to Sonia when she was growing up. Do you think of your childhood as kind of a confusing time? Oh, sure. Extremely confusing. A kid sees things black and white. Uh, yes and no. There's good guys and bad guys. And a lot of kids are in the middle of, of disparate concepts. How could I love my father when he battered my mother? How could I love the music he played? How could I love my mother who kept us in this situation? How could I love her sense of humor, want her approval, uh, yearn for her caress? At the same time that I was critical of the situation we were in. There's the rub. (laughs) And for Sonia, things only got more disorienting when puberty hit. It was awful at that time. It was like, like, I don't have enough trouble. Now I have to deal with breasts. (laughs) It was ridiculous. Because all of a sudden, when you went to Cretona Park pool and you jumped in the water, five guys would jump in after you and fill you up. So you couldn't go to the pool. Uh, You couldn't, you had to get underclothes so you could jump rope. Uh, You couldn't uh, lean out the window. We always used to, I used to lean out the window so I could watch the people on the 3rd Avenue L. And, you know, they'd be guys looking down your shirt and you'd be completely oblivious to it. What did your mom and your older sister tell you about dealing with men? Nothing. (laughs) You just kind of, they actually they used to, um, when someone got married, they'd say uh, about a year later, so how how did he turn out? Did he turn out good? Or bad. So it was like the woman had no choice. It was like luck of the draw. However he turned out, you were stuck with it. And then there was the whole pregnancy thing. That was pretty hilarious. My mother said, well, you know, babies come when people get married. When God sees that you're married, babies come. But all these girls would always get pregnant. And the expression was, le hicieron el daño. The woman was wronged. So I would say to mom, hey, mom, God uh, makes an awful lot of mistakes in this neighborhood because none of these girls are married and he keeps, like, blowing it. <laughs> Sonia left that neighborhood. She got a scholarship to study theater at Carnegie Mellon. It was the late 1960s. Society was on my side. America was an idealistic place and they wanted people like me to succeed. Did it feel like that when you were in? 18 or 19-year-old young woman that America wanted you to succeed? Yeah. Would you have said it that way? Yeah, I mean, I That's really, yeah. Powerful I mean, people way to were say listening. It. Still, when Sonia landed at school in Pittsburgh, it felt like she didn't fit anywhere. It was like being on Planet X. It was so foreign to me. I was a- around a lot of white people for the first time. They, you know, they didn't know what a Puerto Rican was or, and there were hardly any students of color in that school at that time. Did you find yourself kind of trying to fit in, or did your Puerto Ricanness become more pronounced as a way to express who you yeah. are? I choose column two uh-huh. <laughs> from column two. Exactly, I became more and more more Puerto Rican in ways that I had never been Puerto Rican. But I had to stand up for myself. You know, all of a sudden, uh, I had to play Aretha Franklin like 24-7 just to show these white kids what they had been missing or what they should have been listening to. Latins were very, were invisible at that time. So 
I sort of try to align myself with black people and, uh, and their social issues. Then the Young Lords happened in El Barrio in 69, and they tried to sort of fashion themselves after the Black Panthers as well. They wanted you to embrace being Puerto Rican, but part of that culture was machismo and the domination of men over women. Well, you can romanticize it and say it's part of our culture, uh, or you can say, I don't care. (laughs) I I know it's part of my culture, but I don't want that part. Coming up, Sonia talks about how she got hired on Sesame Street and what it's like to look back on those first years of playing Maria. I mean, some of that old footage, it looks like I rolled out of bed and didn't comb my hair. (laughs) And uh, I went a little bit overboard. I could have tweezed my eyebrows every once in a while. (laughs) We've been asking for your stories about death and money. We've heard from a lot of you about wills, paying for funerals, and sorting out estates. A listener named Ben told us what happened when he unexpectedly inherited $10,000 from a relative he'd never met. First thing I knew I wanted to get with the money was bariatric surgery for my wife, who's been overweight pretty much her whole life. And uh, so we get the surgery, and what ends up happening is that as she loses weight, she starts gaining more confidence, she starts going out more, she starts reevaluating our relationship and I do as well and we end up actually getting a mutual divorce only a few months after she got that surgery and April left us a voice memo about what happens when there isn't a will after a death her best friend and her best friend's husband were killed in a car accident their infant daughter survived trying to predict what my friend and her husband would have wanted for their child trying to plan for what to do with their money and with their home, with all of their belongings, was very, very painful. My therapist would tell you that that actually caused more pain for me and for their loved ones than their passing. We're still collecting your stories about money and death. Record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org or write us an email there. On the next episode, I talk with a woman we're calling Emma. She's a single mom and a sex worker. I mean, we all do our work for money, so that's just the way it is. Um, But if I didn't have to do it, if it wasn't the best pay by far, just so above and beyond anything else that I can make um, in the time that I spend doing it, I wouldn't be doing this. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. 
Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Sonia Manzano didn't mean to get into kids' TV. She moved back to New York from Pittsburgh to perform in an off-Broadway show. It was called Godspell, and Sonia was in the original cast. Turn back, oh man, forswear thy foolish way. That's how she was noticed by this public television show for kids. I remember watching Sesame Street. At Carnegie Mellon, I walked into the student union, and there was a. there was James Earl Jones reciting the B. alphabet in this very deliberate manner. C. A, B, C. E. And the letters flashed over his head. I said, what the heck is this? And then I get the call after I'm doing Godspell to come in because they wanted Latino representation. So they called me in, and there weren't that many Latin actors, uh, I have to admit, to choose from. And I got cast on the show. And then I met Emilio Delgado, who plays Luis on the show. And I didn't even know he was an actor. I thought he was an activist because every time you saw him, he'd pin a boycott grapes button on you. So I thought it was all, everybody was in this fervor of of a better society. Maria, why are you walking around like that, muttering to yourself? Well... I'm trying to figure out the right way to go in there and ask Luis to give me a raise. Oh, I see. Uh, Maria? Huh? What's a raise? Well, it means that I'm going to ask him to pay me more money for the work I do in the fix-it shop. Oh. Oh, more. Oh, that's very important. Oh, you're telling me. Do you remember how much you were paid when you were first hired? $500 a week. An enormous amount of money. But I'll tell you something about money. Kids ask me a lot, am I rich? And I never knew, I wasn't sure how to answer it because, you know, and, but now I know, I've thought about it actually, because next kid, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. It all depends on what, where you came from. From what my parents had, I'm rich. Compared to J-Lo, I'm poor as a church mouse. (laughs) (laughs) So you're in your 20s when you start on Sesame Street. You didn't get married until you were 36? Right. 30s, yeah. Did you feel ambivalent about marriage? 
after your parents' marriage? Yes, I was in no hurry to get married. But I, when I was a little girl, I never was the one who said, I want to get married and um, uh, I want to have children. That, that wasn't me. What was it about your husband that made you want to commit to him? He uh, created order. He created, um, there's milk in the refrigerator. <laughs> there's toilet tissue. <laughs> And uh, coming from a chaotic background, I, I love that. And, you know, of course, you have, to, you have to love someone. You have to fall in love as well. But, uh, but I think it was his sense of order and the, the way he can create a home. What did your family, your husband's wife? Yes. What did your family make of, make of him? My mother was thrilled. She was so happy that I was so old and finally getting married. I cannot tell you. As Sonia's life moved into this new phase, so did her characters on Sesame Street. For years, Maria had worked alongside her friend, Luis, in the fix-it shop. Then things changed. I should tell him, shouldn't I? I should tell him, don't you think? At least tell me. Big Bird, I'm in love with him. I'm in love with Luis. When I got married to the character Luis on Sesame Street, I was four months pregnant in that white dress on the rooftop. And, um, you know, Maria's life uh, kind of followed mine. And the the purpose of of that was we were going to show Latin people with the same hopes and dreams as anyone else. You want to get married, you want to have a nice job at the fix-it shop and fix a toaster, you want to help your friends, you want to have a baby, you want to look for daycare, and you want your child to have an education. What did you want to make sure children understood about love and family when you were thinking about how to tell that story? Um, Because we were two characters on a show who had known each other for years, the writers were wondering, how do we justify them falling in love all of a sudden? And we did not want to do the cliche where a man and a woman know each other, but suddenly she takes her glasses off and unpins her hair, and he sees what a beauty she is, and they fall in love. So uh, Maria comes upon Luis as he is nurturing a sick kitten, and as she sees his sensibility as he loves this kitten, her heart melts, and that's how they fall in love. Maria soon got pregnant, which incorporated Sonia's real-life pregnancy into the show. Sonia's infant daughter, Gabriella even played Maria's daughter, Gabriella for a time, which allowed Maria to explain some of the more perplexing parts of new parenthood to the kids on Sesame Street. You're feeding Gabriella, right? Yeah, she's drinking milk from my breast. Is that the only way you could feed her? Oh, no. Sometimes I feed her this way, and sometimes I feed her with a bottle. Babies change everything. It changes the way you look at the world. Uh, this new person is living with you. And I thought, you know, maybe I could share this feeling with children. What, what was your relationship like with your daughter? How was it different than what your relationship with your mother was like? Well, I was really... Um, 
a hover mother. <laughs> I was really involved in her life. Probably too involved. I went the other extreme. I don't think my mother was interested in my girlfriends, whereas I was very interested in my daughter's girlfriends. Uh-huh. And having her when I was 38, I guess I was 38 when I had her, she had friends who had younger mothers. So all the mothers weren't on the same page as to what was appropriate. <laughs> whereas my mother, everybody was on the same page. All parents, all the grown ups were girls can do nothing. They all agreed in that. <laughs> It was a certain sort of, a little bit of comfort there. Sonia's parents are both gone now. She stayed close with her mother until her mother died. Her father was not a part of her adult life. I did want to exclude him. I just wanted to, to, uh, to eradicate him from my life, which is impossible. You, you could not see someone, and but, you know, you could hang up on them when they call, but you really have to face people to really get rid of them. <laughs> hmm. What was going on in your life when you thought, I need, I need to cut this off? I was in love. I was, I had a baby. It was going to be about me now. How many years had it been since you'd spoken to your father when oh, you reached I out? Oh, I want to say I'd spoken to him for, oh, a good 20 years. How'd it feel? I was really n- quite nervous, and, you know, I walked in, and he said, Hey, Sonia, how are you? God, it's great to see you. Just as if I had just seen him a few weeks ago. Or maybe, you know, not not that there was any bad blood. It was all sort of like this kind of acceptance of things happen. And you could put in another word for for things, (laughs) if you like. (laughs) Did you feel that way? No, I think you're still, you know, the I, I, I think the younger you are, the more you want answers to things and you want to explain things. The, the older you are, the more you are willing to say, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to die or something. There's no sense wasting time explaining what you can't explain. Sonia Manzano. She retired from Sesame Street this year. She has a new memoir called Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Botine, James Ramsey, Destry Sibley, and Joe Plourd. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death, Sex, Money. And if you're not already subscribed, sign up for our weekly Death, Sex, and Money newsletter. You'll get updates about the show, podcast episodes we love, and behind-the-scenes stories, like about our team's recent field trip to take a trampoline exercise class that turned out to also be a taping of the reality show Mob Wives. This is the mob we're talking about. She's trying to speak on a lifestyle that she knows nothing about. Subscribe at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. 
And yes, when I was talking with Maria from Sesame Street, I did bring up sex. <laughs> what are you going to ask me about that? Just how do you think about sex at this point in your life? Sex? Um, uh, nice work if you can get it. <laughs> and you can get it if you try. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC. 